All right, so I'm going to read our text for today, and then we're going to get started. So our preaching text for this morning comes to us from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with, with, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so I am honored to be with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Um, I know you've been walking through the book of Galatians, and so we're going to take a quick pause from Galatians and jump into uh, Colossians and just a few verses from Colossians that Gavin just read. Um, And so just holiday weekend, quick break, and then you'll pick up with Galatians next Sunday. Um, But one thing that I know, even not having been with you as you've walked through Galatians, um, is that Galatians gives us an opportunity to kind of just sit and receive over and over again the good news of the gospel, Uh, the good news of the true gospel against the false gospel, the good news of Jesus in the midst of an unbelieving world of Jesus. And I I love Galatians because it's just like the tide keeps washing over us over and over and over again, uh, reminding us of, of the gospel. And then today, As we jump out of Galatians for a moment, I just want us to consider what that gospel does, not just to us as it washes over and over and over, but also through us. Um, Because it's not enough just to sit and receive the gospel. God then equips us and empowers us and sends us into an unbelieving world with that same gospel to, to, to pay it forward. The same gospel that washes over us gets to wash out of us and onto others. And so to say it another way, a simpler way, uh, today we're going to focus on sharing that gospel, um, the impact of its uh, its effect on our lives, what does it look like to impact others' lives as well. And so especially in this moment, as as we as a culture are are coming out of COVID, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, we're doing something, Um, we're we're more in others' lives uh, over these last few months than we have been for a long, long time. Um, We're just going to take today on this holiday weekend and simply remind each other uh, from Paul's text uh, of our call to live on mission into this world and in the relationships that God has sent us in. So, that fair? Um, I want to ask you, is it hard to live as a missionary in the world that God has sent us to? Is it hard to declare the gospel into relationships, into the people that we know? And some of you are being honest and nodding. Um, yeah, it, it is hard. It's easier to display the gospel, right? It's easier to, 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 to say, hey, because of the change Jesus has made in me, I want to be generous. It's not easy, but it's easier to display than it is to declare. Because of the, the change Jesus has made in me, I, I, can, I can rally people. I can serve people. And, and we know the motivation in our heart that's different from the rest of the way that the world serves. And so it's easier to, to put the gospel on display, Maybe this past year even, it's been easier to display some of the fruits of the gospel. As, as folks have had more overt needs, we've been able to meet them and say yes to, to, to meeting needs, even if we couldn't go into their houses or have deep conversations with them. It's, it's easier to display the gospel than it is to declare the gospel. And yet, the gospel is a word, and words must be what? 
must be proclaimed, must be declared, must be spoken or written. And so in a lot of Christian culture, when we think of sharing the gospel, like one or two different things come to mind. What one is kind of like walking someone through a very specific set of texts. And so we feel a lot of pressure. What if we get it wrong? What if we miss one of the texts? What if we miscommunicate, right? Another, another way that sharing the gospel can look is kind of a cold call, knock on, knock on a door and say, if you, if you die tonight, do you know where you'll go, right? Or, or maybe even just kind of trying to force the gospel into a conversation. Oh man, your leg's broken. You know, it also is broken your heart. You need Jesus kind of thing. And we're like, whoa, that's, that's, not, that's not where that was going to go. And, and so it feels like there's this pressurized, this, this heavy-handed thing that, that sharing the gospel has been made into. Four spiritual laws, Roman road, or, or, or just bring someone to, to a gathering and Pastor Gavin or Pastor Brad will share the gospel with them so we don't have to. And, and I want to pause and be clear. Like God uses all of those things. Um, God uses everything under the sun to, to bring the good news to bear. And so I'm not knocking any of these things. I'm just trying to go in our minds when we think of sharing the gospel. That's often one of the images that's conjured up. And none of them, if you're like me, makes me go, yeah, I want to do that. N- none of those opportunities feel natural. None of those opportunities feel easy or accessible, even. Or, and maybe because that's what comes to mind, when we think of sharing the gospel and we look at our own experience, what comes to mind is, I don't do that. I haven't done that. I don't remember the last time that that was part of my conversation. And, and, and sometimes we have logical or well-meaning experiences. Again, like, I don't want to let God down, so I don't want to do it wrong, so I'll just not do it at all. Anyone kind of let that logic play in, in your mind? Um, what if they ask a hard question and I don't know the answer to it? I look like I don't know the truth that I'm sharing. Anyone let that guard you from sharing the gospel? Here's, here's the reality um, I got to had the opportunity to, to write a book a few years ago on on everyday mission. So what does it look like to, to display and declare the gospel, um, not just on Sundays and not just in big ways, but just in our everyday lives and relationship. And as we were doing research for that book, we talked to several folks who don't follow Jesus, um, and we asked them what they see when what they see in the lives of people that they know are Christians but who never talk about him who never talk about Jesus. You know, you know the number one thing that people who are not Christians, and, and some of you may be here, and you're not a follower of Jesus, and so you may see this in the lives of those who claim to follow Jesus, but, but in our research, you know the number one thing that people who don't follow Jesus see in the lives of someone they know who follows Jesus but never talks about him? Shame. Over and over again, they say it seems like they're ashamed of the Savior that I know they follow, or this truth that I know they hold. And, and it's just interesting that that's the number one thing that people see, because one of the, one of the like cling-to verses that Christians have is, I am not, what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. And so it's just, it's, it's at least ironic, it's at least worth considering that that's something that our non-Christian friends, neighbors, family members see. And the reality is the gospel is offensive. And the reality is people will ask questions that we can't answer. We, we all have questions about God and faith that we can't answer. 
We all misrepresent God at times. I've probably misrepresented God in some way today already. (laughs) These are all promises of scriptures. And and so the cold call, the the forced conversation, the, the, the nothing, even intellectually trying to prove that my belief is better than your not belief. Like, there's got to be a better way than some of this. And so the goal for this morning is to talk about proclaiming the gospel, declaring the gospel, but doing so in everyday ways that I hope will be freeing and will take some of that pressure that a lot of us feel and, and, and let us give it over to Jesus as we trust Him. Because the, the, the claim for today is that there, is, there are dozens literally dozens if not hundreds of ways to apply God's one objective gospel to people's many subjective situations. Can I say that again? There there are dozens of ways to speak or to proclaim or to declare, to, to, to apply God's one objective gospel into people's subjective situations. I think Colossians 4 will help us see what those things are. Okay, so Colossians 4, we're just going to tackle it in kind of two halves. The first is is that we're going to watch for open doors, and then we're going to speak into people's stories. Watch and pray for open doors and speak into people's stories. So I'm going to pray for us again that God would lead us. Father, this is a a topic that that, that a lot of us like to avoid. It's a topic that feels foreign to us. It's a topic that's hard for me. It's a topic that's hard for many of us. And yet we, we know that you send us into the world. We know that your son Jesus pr- prayed to you that you would not let us leave the world, but rather that you would protect us as we go in. So would you teach us today? Would you demystify some of this today? Would you speak into our hearts and minds and even bring people to our minds that we know that need this message of good news that we say we cling to? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so the first half of this, how do we demystify it? How do we apply the gospel? The first key, if I can say that, is to watch and pray for open doors. Be- before we read the text again, though, I want to be clear. Is, is the salvation of anyone reliant on us? It is not. Just, just I want to I clarify that for a moment one. So again, as we talk about this, let it mull around in your hearts and your minds, but, but don't feel the pressure because from Jonah to Romans to, to overtly to, to like a theme throughout the whole Bible is that salvation is of the Lord. Okay, and so in Colossians 4, Paul is wrapping up this short letter to, to, some, to, to some of his friends. Most folks think that Paul was, was closer to the church at Galatia than he was even to some of the other churches that he helped plant. And so he's starting to wrap up this letter to his friends, and he does so um, by exhorting them to prayer. He says, continue on in prayer, be, be thanksgiving. But then in verse 3, he says, also pray for me. So, so let me start reading in verse 3. He's going to read 3 and 4 with us today. At the same time as you're praying and and being thankful, at the same time pray also for us that God may open a door for the word, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And would you pray that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, Now you may have heard this phrase that says, Paul was the greatest missionary in all of history. Have you ever heard that before? It's kind of common among Jesus' circles to say Paul was the greatest missionary in all of history. If Paul was the greatest missionary in all of history, who's not the greatest missionary in all of history? And we would all raise our hands and say, well, if Paul gets that title, then nobody else in all of history gets that title. And yet Paul, as the greatest missionary in all of history, first asks his Colossian friends to do what? 
to pray for him. To pray specifically that God would be the one to open doors for Paul to declare the mystery of faith, and then that God would be the one to give Paul the right words to say as he walks through those doors. Where does mission start? Where does declaring the gospel start? It doesn't start with a cold call knock on the door. It doesn't start in a Sunday gathering. It starts in the everyday moments of our lives where we start to ask God to break our hearts for those around us, to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to open doors for us to declare the mystery of the faith, and then as we beg God to give us words that would not be able to be conjured up by our own intellect or abilities, but as we start to pray for open doors and that he would give us the words to share the mystery of the faith. And maybe for some of us to back it up another step, maybe it's praying that God would give us the desire to pray for open doors. Maybe that's where some of us are. Mission starts with prayer. Declaring the gospel starts with prayer. If Paul, the greatest missionary in all of history, was utterly reliant on God to open doors and to give him words, then how much more are we, who are not the greatest missionaries in history, how much more are we reliant on God to open doors, to declare the mystery of Christ, and to give us the words to help make it clear? And I think this is one of the reasons that in our culture we, we, don't display, we don't declare the gospel today. We're not watching for open doors. We're not praying for open doors. Because in, in, in reality, and, and this is not, nothing about this is shaming. It's just trying to acknowledge what is going on around us and inviting us to, to see our, our relationships and our, our daily lives through a new lens. In reality, if, if we're not ashamed, then there's opportunities around us every day for this. Sometimes small, sometimes big. Not always for like the whole like full out, you know, four verse presentation or this kind of stuff. But there's, there's opportunities around us every moment, every day to, to, to declare at least pieces of, of the good news of Jesus in a way that is helpful. Everyday conversations can be opportunities for us to share the gospel. What, what do you talk about with your family? What do you talk about with your friends? Like, think through the last conversation you had. What's, what's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite thing? We talk about things that are important to us. We talk about things that we love, right? Sports, politics. Turns out people talk about politics right now. I don't know if you noticed that, but people do. Um, like, why do we talk about these things? Because we value them. We're pro them or we're con them, but, 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 we, but we value them. We talk about what's important to us. And so if we have people in our lives, neighbors, friends, family members, who know that we're followers of Jesus, right? They see us disappear on Sunday mornings at 10 minutes later than we tried to leave the house. They see us walking out with Bibles in our hands. Like, they know, right? Turns out people are pretty smart. We, do we talk about that? Is it important to us? Well, what would you do this weekend, says our neighbor? Oh, Saturday, I, you know, was, was helping a friend move. Sunday morning, I could, and then Sunday afternoon, this is Memorial Day, went out to some relatives. Like, Again, being silly about it, but, but do we kind of do that? Do we kind of avoid, like, oh, I hung out with some friends, had some coffee, went to a theater, it was cool. Like, we find ways to kind of gloss over some of the things that we say among our Christian friends, at least, that, that, that's most important to us. So I'm not suggesting we force the gospel into the conversation. Nice layup. Reminds me of the time that Jesus slam-dunked my heart. It's not that. 
I'm just saying let's not be ashamed about it. The, the things that we do because of the faith that we claim. Simply talk about this as an important part of our life. Uh, answering questions. We've been in a, a year where folks have been more willing to share their opinions <laughs> and also more willing to ask each other their opinions than maybe ever before. They may not like your answer, but folks have been more overtly willing to ask people's opinions and to share their own opinions on a whole range of topics, whether they have any right to be actually speaking into those things as experts or not. But, but people are asking questions and people are asking for opinions and people are sharing their opinions. And if we know much of the Bible, we know that God calls Christians to a life that looks really weird to the unbelieving world around us. Like, like Paul says elsewhere that, that the lives we lead, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are to be the most pitied people on earth. And some of that's because we're putting our hope in a future that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead is not true. But some of it is that that hope should lead us to live just really pitiable lives, like our goals look different. The way we spend our money looks crazy to the world around us. The way that we choose to, to parent, the, the fact that we forgive other people when they offend us, the rest of the world says that's weak. You're giving them power back over you. This guy, like, people should look at us and go, I feel sorry for that person. They don't get life under the sun. And again, we would say back, yeah, well, because we believe there's something bigger than it. But we should live these pitiable lives. Peter says, that we should always be prepared to give a defense for the hope within us. He also, for the record, cautions us to do so with gentleness and respect. I don't know if that's the posture that many people see in followers of Jesus today. But so thinking about this past year when folks have been very afraid, very locked in on one side of the aisle or another side of the aisle, very willing to share some of what they are terrified of about their job, having some sort of debate over what's going to happen with kids' school. On and, I mean, this has been the last year, right? People are sharing their opinions. What do you think about this? It, it's almost like COVID unlocked this thing that, that I, I don't think is going to stick around forever, but unlocked this thing during this past year, and it's still hanging on a little bit, so we have a, have a moment here, have an open door here, where because everybody realizes that nobody's okay, nobody's operating, has operated at 100% of how they like to operate, then all of a sudden they're okay showing us that they're not okay. So again, like people have been more willing to express fear. People are more willing to express hurt. People have been more willing to express their opinions and ask questions about it. And so if we've been able to model some sort of joy or steadiness, if we've been able to model some better hope than in whatever thousands of things people have put their hope in this past year, and if we've been able to, to not push people immediately out of our lives the first time we disagree with them, but rather to forgive them and seek restoration, we're displaying something the world says, man, that looks weird. but it's an opportunity, an open door, to display a better hope, the hope that we have within us. And, and again, it's not just COVID, it's, as with everything else, it's just been more overt this past year, but, it, but, but in, in this 
climate, people ask questions, people share opinions. There's open doors all the time. And if we're going to live with a better hope, and we're prepared to to give a defense for the hope that's within us, then then that's an open door. A a third just kind of common open door is, is to offer to pray for people. This may sound odd, may sound like an eye roll. Of course, we're Christians. Of course, we pray for, pray for folks. But, but if, if people around us are hurting or joyful, we have the opportunity to, especially in the, in the South and the generally religious culture that we live in, even if folks are hostile to God, they'll still say yes if you offer to pray for them. I think that's frankly strange. But even if, even if people don't believe in God, even if they think you're crazy for believing in God, if you offer to pray, 98% of the time they'll say yes. Why is that? They look at it as like, oh, that's a kind gesture. You can pray out loud to some non-existent being you think lives in the sky. Sure, why not? And so again, like we don't have to force it, but, but we can pray things that we believe. If, if we believe that God is a provider and this person's saying, I'm scared for my job, then can honestly pray what we believe that God would provide, and, and so on and, and so forth. And prayer means even more if we follow up with folks. How's your mom doing that we prayed for? Wow, you actually do care because you remember that. It wasn't just a momentary thing. For us, though, prayer admits that salvation is not of us, and provision is not of us, and the release of fear is not from us, and on and on and on we could go. Those are three common open doors that that I think would be true for for many of us. Um, Everyday conversation, answering questions, praying for people. There's lots of others. I I taught public speaking at at TCU for several years, and the first day of class, I'd always just say, hey, I'm a professor, but also I'm a pastor. But more than that, here's who I am, and just told the crew that I was a, a guy who tried to find satisfaction for most of my life and worked really hard and continued to be dissatisfied and found in Jesus deep satisfaction. So who I am is a son of God. And there was also a great way to not have to grade as many papers. Some non-Christian students would drop my class after that. It was fantastic. We, we pray with our kids most nights. And there's, there's tons and tons and tons of, of open doors. But these are common ones. And so the first key, the first step to sharing the gospel is praying and keeping our eyes open and asking the Spirit to help us see the opportunities in front of us and give us words and give us boldness and to beg God to do what only God can do to save people. And so maybe that's where you're at today. Just going, I just haven't even thought about that. I haven't thought about mission. I haven't thought about non-believing friends this past year. I've been trying to just, you know, Make it through. And so if that's, what you, if that's where you're at, if that's what you need today, then, then maybe today for you is just a, an invitation to pray and watch for open doors to declare the mystery of the faith. Maybe it's to pray for somebody else in your restore group or in this church family or other believer to pray that God will open doors for them. Not, not so you don't have to. <laughs> and again, maybe it's praying that God would give you a desire to pray. For that, because maybe that's where some of us are. But but opening doors is the the first half. If God does open doors, the the second half is to then walk through, 
that open door. Because if God opens doors and we, meh, I'm good. And then there's this whole other half of the invitation in this text that we're missing. Uh, and, and then as we do, to, to walk through the door well. And so I'm going to read in verse 4 again and then keep going. Um, this is part of Paul's, his, his ask of the Galatians to pray for him. Pray not only that God opens doors, but pray that God will help me make it clear, make, make my words clear, because that's how I ought to speak, he says in verse 4. Then he continues with exhortation to them, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Who are outsiders? They're not, not, not yet believing friends, family, neighbors in the city of Colossae. Walk in wisdom toward them. So, so they're living their lives among them, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, and we're going to camp out on these last words, each person. So, so be, be wise. God, will you give them wisdom? Use your time well. Be gracious. Be salty. It's not words that, that, that we typically think of today. Usually today, salty language is like sailors, you know, uh, but, but salty language, like speak words over them that preserve and give life and, and, and flavor their lives. Make it tasteful and palatable. Make it tasteful and palatable to, to whom? Not, not toward us, not toward the speaker. Make, make your words tasteful and palatable as you talk about Jesus to, 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 the, to the person that we're talking to. Consider their point of view, is all Paul's asking us to do here, so that we may know how to answer each person. And those last couple words are, are a key to the rest of these, because answering each person means that there is not just one way to share the good news of Jesus. Answering each person takes into account that everyone in our lives has a different history, a different past, a different struggle today, a different need, a different question. And guess what we believe? is that the gospel of Jesus offers good news to every history and every past and every question and every need and every struggle, right? Do we say we believe that? And so if we only know how to share the gospel in one way, some rehearsed script, which again, God uses, but I'm just inviting us to think a little bit bigger today. If we only know how to speak the gospel in one way, we might not be able to walk through a specific open door that God has for us and speak the gospel in a way that answers that person's question or meets that person's need. And and so let let me make it a little bit more tangible. And this may be a hard question for some of us, and that's okay. Um, When God saved you, for those of you who follow Jesus, when God redeemed you, what was it about the gospel that made it sound like good news to you? You ever thought about it like that? What was it that made Jesus sound like good news to you? For me, so I grew up in, in Fort Worth, I grew up in Weatherford, so other side of the Metroplex from where I live now, um, or other side of, yeah, from where I am now. I don't know, the other side of Fort Worth. I grew up in Weatherford. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, I grew up in a, in a religious house. We were at church every Sunday. 
I heard that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave. I heard that I could have eternal life forever. I heard preaching my whole life. I got baptized when I was eight years old. But when I was 20, I was walking across my university campus, and it hit me like a ton of bricks that if Jesus is real, he should matter to all of life. And immediately cascading from that was what I mentioned that I've shared with my TCU students several first days of semesters. Um, I had been utterly dissatisfied. And, and I, I, I tried to find satisfaction in leadership positions, which is to say controlling other people, if I'm honest. And I tried to find satisfaction in relationships with girls the same age that I was, high school into college. And as soon as I would start a relationship, if I can use that very loosely defined term, I'd be like, okay, move on, next one, next one. Leadership position, got it, move on, next one, next one. And I just found myself in this utterly perpetual cycle of dissatisfaction. And so what what became real to me was if Jesus has really matter to all of life, and the very next thought was, in Christ, God offers eternal satisfaction. All these other things I'm looking for satisfaction in, all of a sudden, like literally just faded away. And I realized for the first time that, that I was missing out on true eternal satisfaction. And I'd heard the, the gospel my whole life, but that's the aspect of the gospel that actually like, I don't know how else to say it. This is not the right way to say it, but it worked. <laughs> like it made it actually sound like good news, not just for eternity, but for, for life today. Not, not for eternity, for the record but there's good news for life today that will carry on through eternity. Now, is satisfaction all that Jesus offers us in the gospel? No. But for me, where I was in my life, with my need, with the questions I was asking, with the specific types of depravity I was walking in, the angle of satisfaction made the gospel sound like good news. So again, I would ask you, I'm not going to say it out loud today, but what is it, what was it, for those of you who follow Jesus, what angle of the gospel, what aspect of the gospel actually made it sound like good news to you? And for some of us, it is that Jesus offers us a better eternal life. There's some folks who are very terrified of, of after, the afterlife and death and hell. For some of us, though, it's, it's not the afterlife and it's not satisfaction. It's, it's, it's that we are, are, are deeply lonely for some of us, it's that we've tried to earn things our entire life, and it's, it's been a pressure put on us that you have to earn everything, including other people's love. If I only know how to share the gospel through the lens of satisfaction, that, because that's what, again, worked for me, it's utterly lost on you. If you're generally dissatisfied but feel like you have to earn everything in your life, Because the good news for you is that Jesus earned everything. And any pressure to earn, especially God's love, God's blessings, is removed as far as the east is from the west. But if you only know how to share the gospel through the lens of freedom from earning, through grace, what we call that, but, but your next-door neighbor doesn't struggle with earning, but struggles with something. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like, just the, the way that I think about this is that every time we see a diamond commercial on TV, 
the diamond is against a black background and the diamond's always doing what? It's always turning, it's always spinning. Why is that? Why is the diamond always against a black background? Why is it always turning? Talk to me for a minute. Why is it spinning? Yeah, you can see all the perspectives. And, and what happens as you see more and more of the perspectives? It sparkles. There it is, manliest word we're going to say today. So it sparkles, yeah. It, it, we see the shine, we see the glimmer, we see the different angle. It becomes more and more beautiful to us. At least that's what marketers tell us, and so we're like, oh, i got to go buy that diamond. The same is true of the gospel. There's one diamond, and as we see it from all these different angles, it becomes more and more beautiful as we see the depth and as we see the glimmer and as we see the richness of it. In the same way, there is one gospel. But as we see it from different angles, it becomes better and better news, and it becomes more and more applicable to our life here and, and more hopeful for our life in the fullness of the kingdom of God in the future. And, and as we realize more and more angles of the gospel, it becomes richer and greater, and, and we want it more and more in our lives now and in our lives forever. Because the reality is that the gospel is joy to the joyless. That's one angle. And hope to the hopeless. And that's another angle. And freedom to those of us who feel caught in debt and slavery. And that's another angle. And salvation for those who feel under judgment. And grace to those who feel like we have to earn. And the answer to every problem. And the meeting of every need. And on and on the diamond of the gospel spins. And it becomes more and more beautiful. And we see it more and more glorious. And Jesus becomes better and better to us. Does that make sense? Everyone around us has questions, has struggles, has needs, has on and on. The gospel is the answer to all of them. Do we know how to answer each person? Proverbs tells us this takes time. The, the wise man, I think this is Proverbs 20, the wise man draws out the depths of somebody's heart. It means we have to listen to our neighbors means we have to pay attention to the needs of our friend. means we have to, to, to listen to the Spirit to give us the right words in the moment. Because again, these aren't two separate halves. As we pray for open doors, as we pray for God to give us the right words, He will often help us see how the good news is good news to this person's situation a friend whose name is Nick, and he was a night security guard over on the east side of Dallas at a big warehouse complex. And, and so 3 a.m. One, one night, the other security guard on duty comes and knocks on Nick's little guard stand door and says, hey, I hear you're a Christian. Is that right? And Nick's like, given his tone, I didn't think it was going to like go well. Um, it's one like, all right, high five, moving on. And so Nick's like, oh, it's 3 a.m. He had a you know, newborn kid at home, so he's just perpetually exhausted, and it's 3 a.m. So he's like, ah. Yeah, I am. And the guy goes, I do drugs. What would Jesus say about that? <laughs> Again, 3 a.m. Uh, what, what comes to your mind, though? Like, so, so some common things are like, oh, Jesus would say, stop. Well, okay, so that feeds this perspective this guy likely has, of like God being a rules only, no fun, doesn't care, just killjoy kind of thing. Um, a lot of us would be like, ah. I don't know, man, it's 3 a.m., I don't know what Jesus would say. Which, again, like, feeds into this, like, we, you, you just said you're a Christian. Why do you not know what Jesus would say about that? Some of us would be like, oh, man, I've been praying for this guy. He, he said that he would die for that sin, 
and he rose again so you can go to heaven and be with him forever in all of eternity, which, which may be true, but what of those words does this guy not likely believe? Like most of them, right? So Nick, like this is the grace of God at 3 a.m., because I thought about it for just a sec, and, and so I said to him, I said, I think Jesus would tell you that you're putting your hope in a place that's letting you down. And you know that it's letting you down because you have to take a hit three to six times a day. So I think Jesus would tell you he's a better place to put your hope because he'll never let you down. Like, that's good. It's good. Is that the entirety of the gospel? No. But did it answer the specific literal question that this guy was asking him in that moment? Yes. And, and to be clear, the guy didn't, like, go and flush his drugs and get down on his knees and start bawling, but, but he did say, I've asked so many Christians that question, and I've never heard that answer before. And if that's the kind of God you worship, then I do want that hope. And Nick's like, great, we'll start a discipleship relationship, and the guy got fired the next day for doing drugs, so they never got to. But, but that's not the point. The point is that Nick wisely paused, listened to this specific question that was being asked, and, and by God's grace applied the gospel. That's a rare example. It's a very bold and overt example, but the same things are going on in the neighbors and friends and family members' minds that are around us, that some, some of whom you might be seeing this weekend for the holiday. What are their struggles? What questions are they asking? Jesus is the greatest answer. What need do they have that Jesus alone can meet? How is Jesus better than the other places that they're trying to have their needs met? Because the reality is that the gospel is deeply personal. It's not individualistic, but it is deeply personal. Our relationship with Jesus is not individualistic, but it is deeply personal. So as we get to know each person with whom God opens doors for us, let's pray that God will save, but since He often saves through His people, Let's also speak the gospel with wisdom and grace and saltiness and answer the personal and specific things that people are wrestling with. Jesus did this. If you look through the gospels, Paul did this. As a matter of fact, if you look through the New Testament, we often think of like Paul going into a city and speaking the gospel, but he spoke to Jews very differently than Gentiles or pagans, as he called them. Probably not a word that we're going to use very often today. Jesus, though, there's a book called Learning Evangelism from Jesus by a guy named Jerem Bars, good British name, and he just walks through 12 or 15 different conversations in which Jesus shares the good news of himself in like 12 or 15 different ways. Everything from the Pharisees, calling them a brood of vipers. Again, not probably the best methodology for us today, but, but they should have known better, right? Like he was, he was more willing to rebuke the religious folks who should have known better. So everything from that to the woman at the well. Who, if, if you have ever read John 4, Jesus meets this woman who culturally he's not supposed to be talking to, and they seem to have this meandering conversation about thirst and about gender and race and about religion and about marriage. But there's this deeper theme in the woman at the well, and you'll see why it resonates with me because it's part of my story too. There's this theme that many theologians draw out of satisfaction. If you remember this story, if you've ever read it, the woman says, I, I want this living water that you have. Like, you have something that I want. She says, how, how can you speak to me? I've been, I've been put down my entire life. I'm a Samaritan and a woman. I, I want to worship where the Jews get to worship. And Jesus says, well, there'll be a time coming where neither are necessary. And, and then she's been let down by many men. 
or she has let down many men and been divorced by those many men. Like that, there's, there's deep dissatisfaction woven into this woman's story. And Jesus spoke into her deep dissatisfaction. If you look at John 4, this will change how you see Jesus' final words because the, the final words of this conversation moved her to go tell everybody about him. She says, I know the Messiah is coming, which is, again, saying there's something coming that I want. Life right now isn't satisfying. There's something that will come, something that will save, something that will satisfy me. And you know what his response is? I am he. And then joy explodes out of her, and she goes to tell everybody that she met Jesus. The thing you're yearning for, that's me. The Messiah that you know will come, that's I am he, says Jesus. Sharing the gospel without killing the relationship, declaring the good news of Jesus in simple everyday ways starts with watching and praying for open doors and then caring enough about people to learn them, to love them, to know their need, to speak the gospel in a way that answers them. Is that hard? Yes. Does it take time and effort and relationship and sacrifice? Absolutely. Might we fail and misrepresent God and speak foolishly? Yeah, you bet. We do that all the time. Do we have to guard against seeing our neighbor and coworker and friend as a project that you're just trying to figure out to, fi- to, to find the best angle? Yeah, because there's a way to take what we're talking about today and making it like a manipulative strategy. So I want to guard us against that by just speaking it out loud. But on one hand, salvation is of the Lord. God the Father has the power, God the Father alone, through His Spirit, has the power to open the doors when we watch and pray. God the Father, through His Spirit, is the one who gives us words to speak as we walk through those doors, and it's Christ in us who is our only hope of glory and who gives us the freedom to speak His truth. And on the other hand, it is worth all the risk because the gospel of Jesus is joy to the joyless and is hope to the hopeless and is satisfaction to the dissatisfied and is freedom to those weighed down by guilt and shame and is the answer to every question, is restoration to all brokenness and is so much more. And so whether you're here and you claim to be a follower of Jesus or not, if we're seeking any of those things, joy, hope, satisfaction, freedom, on down the list, and if we're looking to anything but Jesus to find those things, that other thing will let us down. It'll make us a servant to a perpetual God that never gives us what we need. But the longing we have for joy, satisfaction, freedom, all these, the longing is real. It's the same longing as the woman at the well had. I know there's something that will fix this. I know there's something that will satisfy. I know there's something that will heal. I know there's something that will make this right. And Jesus would look at you, again, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Jesus would look at you and he would say the same words to you as he says to the woman at the well, I am he. I alone can fix this. Only in me will you find whatever it is on the list. And then as a good God, he put himself in the place of a servant to us and humbled himself to the point of death and took our sin and our brokenness and our unbelief and he became our sacrifice and he spilt his blood so that we would not have to die and he conquered death as he rose as proof that every promise of God is true. Is that good news? That's the gospel. 
That's the greatest need for every neighbor, every friend, every coworker, every family member. And you know what? It's also your greatest need today, and it's my greatest need today, too. Because whether you're a Christian or not, today's truth is not actually just about mission. Whatever your subjective situation is, your struggle, your need, your question, the one objective gospel is good news for you, too. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us believe that that is true? We can't even conjure up by our own minds the intellectual ability to trust that in every moment because it's not just about trusting it in our heads, God. We can't conjure up the, the affection for you. We can't conjure up the putting aside of everything else. We need your Spirit to lead us to that. So God, would you open doors, even today, Would you help us pay attention to the people you're putting in front of us? Would you give us the words to speak? Would you help us to listen well? Would you help us to know how to answer each person? Not so that, quote, we can save them, but so we can be one step in the process of the good work you're doing in their life. We pray this for the glory of your Son in our cities and in our relationships. Amen. Amen.